The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Martin Luther was a German monk who uh, had been taught that God required him to live a righteous life in order to be saved. Many of you were taught the same thing. If you grew up in religious backgrounds and you grew up in some churches, perhaps you were taught as a young child that uh, because of what you called yourself denominationally, that meant you were going to heaven. Perhaps you thought that that meant you were good or somehow because you were religious that uh, you had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Martin Luther was taught uh, from a young age. He uh, signed up to be and uh, felt called to be a a monk. And uh, he had, uh, according to his own words, grown to hate God. You think about that. A priest, a monk that hated God. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I can't understand all of that, but uh, I know that by his own testimony, he said this, I hated him for first requiring of me what I could not do, and then leaving me to fail, to be righteous, but I can't be righteous, and then to leave me to my own devices, and he said I couldn't do it. And then he finally grasped the meaning of Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17, when the Bible says the righteousness of God was revealed. And he said this, he said, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's word. The expression, the righteousness of God blocked the way because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteousness. Uh, You know, although an impeccable monk, he said this, I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Then he said this, I grasp the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy of God justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. He said this, I broke through. And as I had formerly hated the expression, the righteousness of God, I now begin to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. You think about that, that that statement that he made. He hated the statement, the righteousness of God, because he understood, even as a monk, even as a religious man, that he could not be righteous, that he could not be good, that he had failed. I don't know about you, but righteousness is not something that's attainable to us. That's not something that we do. Anybody try to live a righteous week and fail? A righteous day and fail, a righteous moment and fail, and we understand that. And what is it about Romans that's proved so life-changing and history-shaping? It's the truth that Romans is about the gospel. That's why it's changed so many people's lives. It's, it's why we take people as Christians through the Romans road or why we often fall back to uh, Romans because we, we know that it contains the gospel. And Paul uh, here in AD 57 was writing to the church that was at Rome, and he wanted them to understand the gospel. But he wanted them to experience the gospel. He didn't want them just to understand it in their head, but he wanted them to understand that uh, it was for their whole life. And a lot of times, if we're not careful as believers, we become so familiar with the gospel that we become apathetic to the gospel. We become careless with the gospel, that we kind of uh, understand, we think that everybody understands the gospel or somehow has grasped the gospel or understands the message of the gospel. We kind of use terms like salvation and being born again and being saved very loosely, and uh, we attribute it to more people than probably that we should. And Jesus said this, except a man be born again, he cannot enter in the kingdom of God. And the gospel here that's declared is Romans chapter 1 and verse number 1. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. It's God's gospel. It's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not, uh, hey, listen, dare we say it, the Baptist gospel. It's God's gospel. It's the Lord's gospel. It didn't originate with us. It didn't originate with church. It didn't originate with our denomination. It originated in the heart and mind of God. It's his gospel, and it's a declaration about his righteousness Uh, It's the message that the perfection and the holiness of God is seen in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And it's this perfection that's offered to us as a free gift through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Paul shows us not only how the gospel makes sinners righteous, but also how this most precious gift of God is enjoyed daily in the believer's life. How it produces deep and massive changes in our behavior and even in our character. 
Does not the gospel change us? It changes who we are. It changes uh, uh, what we were. It changes the direction of our lives. It changes as even Martin Luther gave testimony as a monk. And by the way, I don't, by uh, giving the testimony, agree with everything theologically that Luther believed. But I will tell you this, that he, if he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ here, as he said, that he was born again. And that uh, he truly believed on Christ. And boy, he had flaws just like you and I did and was trying to figure it out along the way and didn't get it all right. But I tell you this morning, I haven't got it all right either. Uh, but I, I'm glad this morning there was a time in my life where someone preached the gospel to me, where I understood the gospel. And I hope that today I'm continuing to live out the gospel and experience the gospel in my daily life. And some people would say as they uh, hear this message or uh, perhaps messages on the gospel, well, I'm already a believer. What good is uh, preaching the gospel to me? Well, the gospel is the most important thing that anybody can hear. The gospel is the most important reminder to every believer because uh, it keeps us humble. It keeps us rooted and grounded in God's truth. It keeps us uh, knowing uh, what is God's plan for our life and understanding that we never deserved it. And the question to ask today for all of us is, have I, like Paul, have I, like Luther, broken through into the freedom and release that the gospel brings me? Some people say they've been saved, but there's never been a breakthrough in their life. Some people say that they know God, but there's never been a transformation in their life. Some people say that they have, if you would, taken into their very life the power of God, the gospel, but it's not done anything for them. It's not changed their direction or their disposition or their character or their behavior. Listen, the gospel never entered into anybody and left them the same. The gospel never entered into anybody's life and and just improved it a little bit. The gospel is life-changing. The gospel is changes us. And and I'll tell you, just by we're going to look at four statements that Paul made here in this passage of scripture that we just read to show us that Paul's life was revolutionized, that Paul's life was changed. Let's look at statement number one together. Number one, Romans 1 verse 1, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. He said, a servant of Jesus Christ. Think about Paul. We talked about Luther, but think about Paul's conversion as, as Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Who was Paul? Was Paul a wicked, rotten, terrible person? As what we would uh, say a person uh, is, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul learned at the greatest teachers of the Bible's feet. Paul, he, he knew the Old Testament. Paul believed the Old Testament. Paul never forsook uh, coming to the synagogues. Paul believed in God. Paul believed in God's word. But Paul didn't know Jesus. Paul was religious, but he wasn't saved. Uh, Paul, he, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Think about this. Paul was trying to climb the ladder, if you would, in his life. He gave his own testimony, his own credentials, if you would, as he talked about being a Pharisee of Pharisees, the, the greatest, if you would, of the Jews. And he was, uh, think about even Jesus as he talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a ruler of the Jews. But those credentials didn't mean anything. As a matter of fact, after Paul came to Christ, what did he say about his credentials? Those things I thought were gain, I count as loss. Those things I thought were good, they're bad. Those things that uh, I thought were uh, causing me to attain as I went about to establish my own righteousness in God were keeping me from God. I had to abandon them and walk them away, uh, walk away from them and lose my identity in order to come to Christ. He was not Paul. He was not Saul anymore, was he? He became Paul. God changed his name because he changed him. He was no longer the same person. He became someone who was trying to climb the corporate ladder of religion, if you would. He was trying to go to the next level or whatever he could. As uh, You see Luther doing the same, a monk, and maybe, maybe I'll be a bishop one day, and maybe even the pope, and uh, maybe I can climb the ladder and climb the ladder and climb the ladder, and hopefully I'll climb the ladder all the way to God. And I tell you, you'll never climb the ladder to God. You can never do it. It's impossible. And Paul said, when I met Jesus, I became like Jesus, a servant. As Jesus spoke, what did Jesus say the greatest in the kingdom was? A servant. The greatest is a servant. The way up in God's kingdom is down. The way forward is backwards. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's completely opposed to all the religious systems that we see in this world. How can you identify that it's a false gospel? A false gospel tells you that you get to God by being better yourself. 
A false gospel tells you that you become like God by doing good things and trying to be righteous. Uh, A false gospel comes from the very uh, words of the serpent himself in the Garden of Eden. You will be like the Most High God. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil if you just do this and you just do this. And you can, God's just trying to keep you down. And you notice religious people don't really like God very much. You know, God's not somebody who's their friend. He's not somebody who's their father. He's somebody who bosses them around and tells them what to do and keeps them uh, from attaining. But that's not the gospel of the Bible. That's not God. That's not who we say. But by the way, that's what's pervasive in our society. That's what most people are hearing. It's, it's a sad thing to me that people are in church today and they won't hear the gospel. They won't hear the gospel of God. They might hear another gospel. They won't hear about Jesus Christ. They won't hear, although they'll hear a lot of stuff about being better yourself and making yourself better and making your life better and getting more money, getting more blessings and feeling better about yourself. But that's not what makes us better. God is the only one that can do that for us. Paul said, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul was commissioned to carry the gospel. As you look at it, it says in verse number one that he was separated, separated under the gospel. You know what that means? It means he was moved apart and away from everything else to the gospel. It's the most important thing of his life. If you think about Paul, the gospel was so great to him that he was willing to separate himself from wealth and health and acclaim and friends and safety in order to fulfill his calling. Where are the believers today that believe the gospel so much that they'll separate themselves from the love of this world and the money of this world and the acclaim of this world and the the piety of religion in order to come and bring the gospel to people? Commissioned to carry the gospel. The gospel places a calling on commission on all of our lives, though, doesn't it? As we've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, if you're not going into all the world, you should be sending somebody into the world. And I tell you, uh, that's no excuse for why we don't reach our world, why we don't tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ and in the piety, in the religious, among those that uh, believe that uh, religion is the answer, only the laity are responsible to carry the message. But in God's economy, it's to all the saints of God. It's to every believer to carry the gospel message. We've all been called to be servants of Jesus Christ, all been called to be heralds of the good news of the gospel message. And here's the question this morning, are you carrying your commission? Are you carrying it out? Not only do we see the commission of the gospel, we see the content of the gospel, the content of the gospel. As we look at the gospel, it's important for us to say what it's not because there's a lot of people saying that it is something that it isn't. And I always say some things that the gospel is not. Number one, the gospel isn't advice. The gospel is an announcement. The gospel is not, let me give you some good advice that might help you in your life. The gospel is not advice to be followed, it's news, it's good news about what's already been done. In other words, when we give the gospel, we're announcing what Jesus has already done. We're not hoping that this advice will somehow help someone with their life. We're declaring to them that they don't have life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the announcement that life is in Christ and comes through Christ and they can have that life if they believe on Christ. The gospel is an advice. Number two, the gospel isn't Paul's and it isn't ours. The gospel is God's. It's the gospel of God. I tire of all these that uh, believe that somehow they have, uh, they have a corner on the gospel. You know, somehow this denomination has a corner on the gospel or this group of people has a corner on the gospel. Uh, listen, it's not our gospel. It's God's gospel. It's not Baptist gospel, it's God's gospel. This is what God's gospel is. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll see that because they'll say, oh, you're one of those born-again people. Like it's somehow some kind of a denomination. Or some kind of, how, some kind of advice or opinion that, that we have. And the, the gospel that we herald, this good news that we give, doesn't originate with us. Can we re- be reminded this morning the gospel wasn't our idea? The gospel wasn't even Paul's idea. The gospel is God's idea. The gospel is God's message. And by the way, God didn't come up with that idea when man sinned. He already had that idea. 
He already knew what he was going to do. He already had a plan. He already had a way. When man sinned, we said, oh, my. When, God sin- when, when, when man, man sinned, we might have said, we look back and say, oh, no, we messed it all up. And God said, oh, good, I can show my grace to them. I can show them my plan. I can show them my gospel. I can show them why I did all of this because I'm good. Because doesn't God show us that even man in a perfect environment, in a perfect world, without a sin nature, still messes it up? You think about that. They didn't have a sin nature. They had a per- no excuses, right? But they still messed it up, didn't they? And so would you have, and so would I have, and we could go back and analyze Adam and Eve and what they could have done, but I tell you, it couldn't have been prevented. It couldn't have been, uh, there was no way to stop it. There is no, uh, as much as we would love to talk about what if it didn't happen, it happened, it was going to happen, it always was going to happen, and God knew it was going to happen, and God had a plan for it before he even made the earth. And we got to rest in that, because if not, it's just some reactionary theology that we have. We don't have a reactionary theology. We have a sovereign God who knows everything. Who knew, hey, that's our God. God wasn't pulling his hair out and saying, what am I going to do? It's God's gospel. He knew what he was going to do. He already had a way. And and because it's not ours, we're not at liberty to reshape it, to make it sound more appealing to our day. And we're not not able to domesticate it, to make it more comfortable to our lives. Because it's not ours. It's God's. The gospel isn't advice. The gospel isn't Paul's or ours. The gospel isn't new. Look at verse number two. God promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Can I say this for all of our good this morning? The Old Testament is all about the gospel. And some people say, oh, the New Testament. The New Testament's about the gospel. No, the Old Testament's all about the gospel. All about the gospel. Jesus said, I've come to you in the volume of the book. It's written of me. In the volume of the book, it's written to me. I mean, that, that means the whole thing, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, you, can't, you can find Jesus and the gospel on every page if you look for it. Because the gospel's always been God's plan. It's always been God's will. And it's always going to be done. It's God's plan. The gospel isn't new. The Old Testament's all about it. All the scriptures point forward to this announcement. It's not like God didn't tell us what was coming. Think about how many types of Christ there are in the Old Testament. Think of how many heralds and prophets God said of, hey, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. He told them when, he told them where, he told them how, he told them who. And they still didn't get it. Come on, if God tells us who, what, when, where, why, and how, we should be able to figure it out, right? But we still missed it. And they missed it. Even God's chosen people missed it. They weren't looking for him when he came. And when he got there, they rejected him. But God already knew that too, didn't he? Didn't he say he would be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Because God always had a plan, and his plan has always been the gospel. It's not new. It's an ancient message. And then, let me say this, the gospel isn't a concept. The gospel is a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The gospel's content is, verse 3, his son, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's what it is. You know how we preach the gospel? We preach Jesus and him crucified. We preach Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's how we preach the gospel. The gospel centers on Jesus. It's about a person, not a concept. It's about him, not us. And a lot of times we think, well, the gospel's about us. I need to, I need to make the gospel appealing to. Let me ask you a question. What's not already appealing about the gospel that you and I can add to it? What do we need to do to shape it to be more appealing to our culture and generation? It doesn't need to be reshaped. It doesn't need to be reimagined. It doesn't need to be reproduced. It just needs to be announced. It just needs to be given. The gospel is is a person. It's Jesus. When I preach the gospel, I'm introducing someone to my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is we never grasp the gospel until we understand that it's it's not fundamentally a message about our lives, about our dreams. It's not fundamentally a, a message about our hopes. The gospel speaks about and transforms all of those things, but only because it isn't about us. It's a declaration about God's Son, the man Jesus. We are so depraved and we are so sinful 
that even we would take the gospel and somehow twist it and try to, in our pride, make it about us. Like somehow it's about us. It's about Jesus. Jesus, notice in the message in verse number 3, and he was fully human concerning his son Jesus, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. We understand that Jesus was fully man. Why did Jesus have to take on human flesh? Why did he take on the form of the servant, became made in the likeness of man? Why did Jesus have to do that? Because somebody had to die, and the only one that could is somebody who's perfect, and the only one that was perfect was God. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You think about that. He became fully man. He's touched the feelings of our infirmities as our high priest, he bled, he died, he hungered, he thirsted, he tired, he was weary, he took on flesh, he laid aside his glory for us so that we could be saved. And Jesus was fully human. By the way, he was born of a virgin without a sin nature, and he is the only one that ever was. There's never been another person, not another saint, and not even Mary herself that was born of a virgin. And I tell you, the Bible is pretty clear about the fact that Jesus was the only one that's ever been sinlessly perfect. And there's no co-redemptress, and there's nobody who needs to come alongside or mediate for or come between. It's only Jesus Christ. He was fully human. Notice he was the one who fulfilled the promises of Scripture. He's of the seed of David. He's of the seed of David. He came the way Jesus said he would come. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's of the line, the house, and the lineage of David, as the Bible would tell us. He's both king of kings and lord of lords. He's prophet, priest, and king. That's who he is, fulfilling all offices at once as the one who fulfills all scripture at once. Jesus is the express image of God, the fulfillment of all prophecy and all scripture. And the forerunners came before and said, hey, look, there he is, there he is, there he is. And God sent another just before Jesus showed up, didn't he? His name was John. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. The content of the gospel is Jesus. He was fully human. The one promised the scripture, verse number four, he was fully God. He declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Listen, Jesus wasn't just a man. Jesus wasn't just a man. I mean, some people believe that. Some people don't believe in him at all, but then they believe in him and they say, well, Jesus is just a man. You know, he's just a prophet. He's just a good man. Can I remind us all this morning that good men don't walk around saying they're God? That's not what good men do. Jesus was either God or a liar or a lunatic. And I tell you, you can't have it both ways. He can't just be a good man and not be God. Jesus is fully man and fully God. And how did he prove it? Verse number four, by the resurrection of himself from the dead. Jesus said, I can lay my life down, but get this. (laughs) I can take my life back up again. Jesus died, was buried in the grave, and you know what he said? I'm going to take my life back up. And he did it exactly when he said. He said, three days and three nights, and I'm rise again. You think that after all that Old Testament they ignored, that they would at least listen to his words and been sitting at the tomb, waiting for the stone to roll away. But they didn't believe, did they? It took a lot of uh, persuasion, a lot of revealing, a lot of showing of himself before uh, even they believed. And even for Thomas, uh, the appearance of, hey, come put your hands in my nail prints and in my side. And blessed are those that have believed and not seen. Boy, we are blessed, aren't we? Having not seen, but yet we love. Having not seen, but yet we love. And we rejoice this morning with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus was fully human, the one who fulfilled the promises of Scripture. He was fully God. And Paul said, I am a servant. It changed his life. Number two, he said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. Look at Romans 1 and verse number 14. He said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul was indebted to others because of the gospel. You know what the gospel has done? Well, it's indebted us to Christ. Listen, I 
he paid a debt. He didn't know. I owed a debt. I couldn't pay, right? Jesus paid our debt. Jesus took our place. We became his servants. We became his people. We became his children. He didn't serve us. We serve him. We're not God where he does our bidding. He's God where we do his bidding. We're debtors to him. But get this, not only are we debtors to him, but we're debtors to others, aren't we? We're debtors to those who preach the gospel to us, but we're also debtors to those who have not yet heard the gospel. You think about that. The gospel is for God's people, the Jews. Notice what he said. He said, I'm a debtor both the Greeks and the barbarians, both the wise and the unwise. Hey, Paul was a Jew. Paul was one of God's chosen people, but you know what Paul realized? The gospel is for the Jews, but not only. But not only. You know what Paul was? He's a transitional apostle. He's the apostle that God used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. While all those other disciples were still arguing about whether the Gentiles could get saved, Paul was out preaching to them. All the Jews had come to Christ at Jerusalem. They were still arguing over whether people had to become Jews to become Christians. Even Peter himself wouldn't even go down to the half-breeds in Samaria while a revival broke out and Philip was down there preaching the gospel to them, a bunch of half-breeds, a bunch of people that weren't like them, people they were racially against, people they had prejudices towards. And God says, no, 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 I'm bringing revival to those people. You know what he did? Threw down all the walls of prejudice and race and all the things that keep people from thinking that the gospel is only for us. The gospel is only for us. And the gospel is to the Jews. The gospel is for the Jews. But not only it's to the Jew first. How many glad it's also to the Greek? The gospel is for God's people, the Jews. The gospel, get this, is for us. But the gospel is not for only us. Boy, that's a sad thing. The Jews, they got that wrong. How in, we, how in the world are we going to get that wrong? God did a good job telling the Jews that the gospel was for them and for them, and they were chosen, but they weren't the only ones. And then you notice there's some people that are saying today, it's still, oh, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. Listen, I'm not interested in being part of the frozen chosen this morning. The people that say, oh, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. We're not the only ones. He said, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise. And can I remind us all, as you go to the book of Revelation and we get a little glimpse around God's throne, that who's around God's throne saying blessing and honor and glory and power are every nation, tribe, people, language, and tongue. What does that tell us? Gospels for everybody. Gospels for everybody. Gospels for us, but not only for us. We're debtors to those different from our ethnic and intellectual backgrounds. The gospel's not just for the wise. The gospel's not just for the ignorant. The gospel's not just for the polished. And the gospel's not just for the barbarians. Listen, no matter where you find yourself, the gospel's for us. The gospel's for you, but not only for us. It's for others as well. The gospel calls us, verse number five, to obedience to the faith. Notice verse number five, it says, uh, uh, this apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Can I say this this morning? Obedience is not a condition for salvation. It's a consequence of saving faith. God didn't put obedience and say, hey, in order to become a believer this morning, you've got to obey God's word. Obedience is not a condition for salvation. Can I say this? There are no conditions. There are no conditions. We try to make it conditional. God says it's free. God says it's free. You know why we try to make it conditional? Because even those, those of us that say we believe it's by grace through faith still try to put conditions on it so we feel better about ourselves and somehow we fulfilled some kind of checklist and became okay to God. We never became okay to God. He died for us when we were yet sinners. He knew us. He didn't look at us and see something good in us. He was good, and he was gracious, and he was loving, and he was compassionate. It wasn't us that was good. It was all him, and there's no condition. You know, the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave ye power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
If you want to put a condition on salvation, I guess you could say you got to believe. you got to believe. Obedience is not a condition for salvation. It's a consequence of saving faith. We said, number one, Paul said, I'm a servant. Number two, he said, I'm a debtor. Number three, he said this, I'm ready. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse number 15. So as much as in me is, I love that statement. As much as in thee is, with all that I am, I am ready to preach the gospel. With all that I am, I am ready to preach the gospel. Here's a question, you that have received the gospel, are you ready? With all that in you is, with all that you are, with all of your heart to preach the gospel? You said, that was Paul's calling. No, 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 that's our calling. That's our commission for all that in us is, that we would give ourselves to the gospel, that we would, as the New Testament says, hazard our lives for the gospel's sake. Give ourselves once again. Hey, it's that kind of gospel that caused the church to send missionaries into the world. It's that kind of gospel and that kind of gospel being preached that caused people to be called to the mission field. It's that kind of gospel that has called the church of the living God to go out in the highways and hedges all around us everywhere at all times, at all places, as much as we possibly can. I understand you've got other responsibilities, and I understand you've got a family to attend to, and you've got a wife to attend to, and you've got land to attend to, but the church of the living God sounded a whole lot more like those people that gave all those excuses why they couldn't come to the dinner table when God invited them to come. Oh, I got this going on, and I got that going on, and you don't understand. I've got a job, and I've got money, and I've got this, and I've got that. Hey, listen, that's not what God's called us to do and why he called us to be here. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous life to be ready to preach the gospel. Too many Christians are making excuses for their disobedience in not preaching the gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? You say, well, that's your job, preacher. No, my job's pastor. Your job's preacher. You're a preacher. I'm a preacher. The pastors for the perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the people, the saints uh, that are here for preaching the gospel, carrying the gospel. Are we not all heralds? Is the gospel not good news? Shouldn't we be carrying it? Shouldn't we be telling it? Hey, listen, uh, shouldn't we be letting our light so shine? How much scripture do we want to ignore while we pat ourselves, while we insulate ourselves, while we isolate ourselves, while we go about to establish our own righteousness again, while we cleanse the outside of the cup while the inside's all dirty and disobedient? You know, Jesus came to a world of religion. Religion wasn't doing any good for people, was it? You know what we need? Christians ready to preach the gospel again ready to preach the gospel. You say, I'm waiting for God to call me. He just did, friend. He just called you. Not called, not heard, you say. Hey, he's called you. He's called you. You just, you're not listening. Come on, isn't that our problem a little bit? Listen, I'll tell you, if you have a hard time listening to me, you probably haven't heard him much. This is an audible voice. What about that still small voice within you? When's the last time you obeyed it? You ever have the Lord prick your heart about telling someone else about the Lord, uh, telling someone else about the gospel, giving the gospel? Listen, it's not long before you tell that no enough that you stop hearing that voice. I'm ready. Paul desired to be used of God to encourage the church. Look at verse number 11. He said, I want to come to you. I'm ready to come to you. I've got some gifts that need to be used. I've got some spiritual gifts that I want to impart to you. God has given me some spiritual gifts, and I need to encourage the church there at Rome. I long to be with you, but not only that, he knew that they had some things in their mutual faith to encourage him. He said, I need to be encouraged by you. Your faith, both of you and me, our faith, He said, I need encouragement. You know how we live this out practically? That every time we gather together, we encourage each other to live out God's word, to live with the gospel, and to go into the areas all around us and share it with others. You know, that should be the reason why we come together. We should come together and say, hey, listen, 
You hear, would you pray for so-and-so? I've shared the gospel with them this week, and I'm hoping they get saved. Would you pray with me about so-and-so? Hey, I'm going to share. Hey, I told you, when's the last time you had a testimony to share other than how your week went and how your vacation went and how your time went and what you did and what you did? People give testimonies all the time, all the stuff they're doing. When's the last time you had a testimony to give about somebody you shared the gospel with? Are you ready? You say, are you scolding me this morning? I'm not trying to scold you. I'm trying to encourage you. We need to preach the gospel today. Come on, are you, are you with me? The only hope for America is that people come to Christ. It never was in the White House, and I'm, I'm thankful he's reminded Christians of that loud and clear for the last decade or so. Because Christians put their faith in America for too long and not in God. And the only way that America is going to turn back to God is if Christians turn in faith back to God and do what God left us here to do in the first place. And that's to preach the gospel. You want to change a country? You want to change a community? You want to change a neighborhood? You want to change a home? Preach the gospel there. It'll change everything. These, are world, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also. how they turn the world upside down? They went and preached the gospel. That's what they did. We're more concerned with what programs we have, what methodology we have, what psychology we have, what we do, what we do, what we don't do. What about what we're not doing right now as a church? Come on, every single one of us has been commissioned with that. Commissioned with that. Aren't you glad someone told you about the gospel? Don't you owe that to somebody else? I mean, he said, I want to have fruit I want to harvest in Rome too. You say, Paul's getting awfully uh, greedy. He went to Corinth and he had fruit. And he went to Philippi and he had fruit. And he went to Ephesus and he had fruit. And he went to Thessalonica and he had fruit. And he went to Athens and he had fruit. And uh, boy, why did he want to go to Rome? Because Paul just wanted to preach the gospel wherever he could preach the gospel. And he's willing to hazard himself for it. Too many people want the gospel to be all about their lives and their hopes and their dreams and how the gospel made their life so good. I'm, I'm with you. It changes our lives, but good Christians give the gospel. They don't go about their business doing their own thing. I'm ready. I'm ready. And then lastly this morning, he said this, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Romans 1.16, would you read that with me one more time? Romans 1.16, read it with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, Je- of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know what he said? I'm not offended. I'm not offended. You know why it's, it needed to be stated? Why would someone have to state that I'm not offended by the gospel? Because the gospel is very offensive. That's why. You say, offensive? I thought it was good news. No, it's offensive to your flesh. It's offensive to your pride. Listen, a gospel that's not offensive to your flesh is not the gospel of God. Oh, you don't have to do anything. Just believe in Jesus. Just believe in Jesus. Hey, the devil himself believes and trembles. He said, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that have to do with? Hey, think about what, how he explains the gospel. Think about this. Why is the gospel put us to shame? Well, it's a gift. You say, what's shameful about a gift? Because you could never deserve it, and the only way that God could package it to you is send it as a gift. You could have never earned it. That's what God said. Hey, listen, don't tell me that you could have earned it or that it's not a gift. It's a gift because it's the only way you could have got it is if I gave it to you as a gift. You would have never merited it. You would have never earned it. You could have never gotten it on your own. You could have never paid for it. It was unattainable to you. You know, that's a little offensive, isn't it? What do you mean I couldn't with all my money, with all my goodness, with all my religion? Don't you understand how many people like me and how many people's lives I've changed and how many old ladies I've helped across the street and how good and how good and how good and we make a case for ourselves. Hey, the case is Christ. He says, you're not good. You've never been good. You think you're good because you're comparing yourself to everybody else. Look to God and then tell me how good you feel. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the king. When Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus, he fell off the horse. 
You can't stand the presence of God. I couldn't stand the presence of God. Moses, God, I want to see your face. You'd die, friend. You'd die if you saw my face. You can't see me like you are. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We think we're going to walk to the big man upstairs and he's just going to let us in because we threw a couple words his way in our life. Because we threw a couple dollars his way in our life. Because we threw a couple good deeds his way in our life. That's a little offensive, isn't it? It's a gift. How about this? Jesus had to die for it. We are so bad as human beings that only the death of God's son could pay for our sin. Listen, I don't know, friend, how worse could it get? How, how, more, how, how, how bad could it be that the only solution, the only solution, are you with me? Abraham and Isaac. Is there another way? Nope. Got to lay, lay my son down. There's no other way. You know what, Jesus, if there was another way, what did Jesus say? If it be possible that this cup pass from me, if it be, you know what he's saying? Is there any other way that this could be done? No. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. In the flesh, as a man, do you think he wanted to be nailed to a cross? That he wanted to be beaten and bruised and berated and had a beard plucked from his face? You think that that's what in his flesh as a man wanted to go through? But he said, not my will, but thine be done. Because the only way it could be done, if you want to know how bad we were, look at Jesus on the cross. That's how bad you are. That's how bad I am. That's what Jesus did to his own son because of us. That's pretty terrible. He said, I'm not offended by that. I'm not ashamed We can never be good enough for it. No good person is ever saved, only those who come through Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people say this and ask them, how do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? And they say, well, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be a good person. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? Trying to be a good person. You try and try, try all you want, but you're never going to be a good person. And get this, you're never going to want to be a good person either. You say, well, uh, yep, I want to be, I mean, come on, I understand what you're saying. We want to be accepted by society. We don't want to be looked down upon by others. We don't want people to think that we're a bad guy. We don't want to be perceived as someone who's a terrible person. So we kind of polish the outside as much as possible. But you know in your heart of hearts, there's a sin in your heart you can't deal with. You can't get away. You can't, uh, you can't deny that it's there. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none to do with good, no, not one. You say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. You can't come to Jesus with your goodness. You've got none to bring, to offer. Come to Jesus and say, I'm not good. I need Jesus. We can never be good enough for it. How about this? The gospel puts us to shame because it was delivered to us by a suffering servant, not a conquering destroyer. You know what our way would have been? What the disciples' way was. What the uh, thief on the cross's way was. Why don't you just kill everybody? (laughs) Why don't you just wipe everybody out? Come on, do it. Overthrow Caesar and overthrow Rome and just wipe everybody out. You got the power. What did Jesus say to that? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter even spoke those words to him. Why don't you go ahead? Why don't you go ahead? Hey, turn those rocks into bread. Hey, lift yourself up. Hey, do it your way. Go sit on the throne. Go overthrow Herod and Caesar and everybody else and show how great and powerful you are. He said, that's not the way it's going to get done. It's got to be done through the death of my son on the cross. It's the only way it could be done. Boy, it would be a lot more prideful if the person we were following was just some kind of huge conqueror that everybody acknowledged instead of a suffering servant that everybody's still trying to deny. Jesus, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? They were all asking that question. Who was he? Suffering servant. You know why? Because it offends people who want salvation to be an easy life. It offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. That's not what God's called us to at all, is it? That's not what God ever promised to us. 
It's amazing when Christians are surprised that things go wrong. Surprised. Surprised. Did we forget where we're living? Hey, can I remind us all, we're not needing anymore. We're living in a cursed world. Don't be shocked when sinners act like sinners. Don't be shocked when bad stuff happens to good people. Don't be shocked when there's wars and rumors of wars and tornadoes and hurricanes and the earth itself is groaning and travailing because of all that's in this earth, because of this sin-cursed world that we live in. Hey, but Jesus, he's coming back, isn't he? You better be sure he's going to sit on the throne and bring peace to this world. He's not coming like a suffering servant. He's coming king of kings and lord of lords to rule and reign. That's our God. He's a sovereign, holy, righteous God, and he's on the throne right now. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Let me give you three reasons why Paul wasn't ashamed, and why you can't be ashamed of a shameful gospel, a gospel that shames us. We can not be ashamed by realizing it's the power of God. The gospel doesn't just bring power or give power. It is power. People say, oh, the gospel brings, or the message has power. No, no, the message is power. It is power. It's, it's, it's dynamite. That's what the Bible calls it. I mean, the, the, word, <laughs> the word that we translate the word power, it, there in, 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 in the scriptures, there's the same word we get the word dynamite from. Powerful. I mean, it is power. The gospel is power. You know, you won't be ashamed of it if you believe in its power. You believe it is power. Listen, um, you want to change your situation, you want to change your home, you want to change your surroundings, you want to change your family, preach the power. It's power. It's powerful. Listen, I, I tell you, realizing it's the power of God, that's what he said, I'm not ashamed. It is the power of God. Number two, realizing what the power can do. It's not power for no reason. It's power with a purpose. It's power with a purpose. How many know even dynamite has a purpose? Some people that want to use it for the wrong purposes. But I tell you, even it has a purpose. You know, God's power has a purpose to it. Notice the purpose of the power. It's the power of God unto salvation. The purpose of the power is to save people. That's the power. That's what it's for. Realizing what the power can do, the gospel saves people. It lifts people up. It transforms them. That's what can happen. Listen, I never had a 12-step program or psychology book that could do that for anybody. Oh, you can change your habits, and you can change who you hang out with, and you can change all that stuff all you want, but it's not going to change you. The gospel changes you. It changes your attitude. It changes your outlook. It changes who you are as a person. You're not the same anymore. They might as well give you a new name. And such were some of you, but now are you clean? You're not the same anymore. I'm not what I used to be. I'm glad for that. Listen, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go digging in the graveyard. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Hey, we're going to get there. But, but I, t- I, I tell you this morning, the gospel is not useless power. It's power of the purpose. Power to save. Realizing it's the power of God. Realizing what the power can do. Realizing who it can do, who it can do it for. The gospel is power to God and his salvation. The power of God and salvation to what? To everyone that believeth. Well, that kind of solves the problem, doesn't it? Who's it to? Who's it for? Everyone. Everyone, oh, everyone that believeth, pastor. I understand everyone that believeth. But who are we supposed to tell it to? Everyone. Everyone. Do they have a choice to believe or not? Sure. You're still supposed to tell it to everyone. Tell it to everyone. The gospel saves anyone who believes it. Notice what he says in verse number 16, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, Paul followed that little formula everywhere he went. On Saturday, he'd go to the synagogues and he preached to all the Jews. On Sunday, he'd go out in the streets and preach to all the Gentiles. But everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. Preached the gospel. 
I wonder, what does the pattern of our life reveal we believe? What does the pattern of our life reveal we believe? Do we believe the gospel? Are we ashamed of the gospel today? Say, I'm not ashamed. Listen, in order for you to come to God, you've got to believe that He is, but you also have to believe He's rewarded them to diligently seek Him. What does He want? He doesn't want anything from you. He just wants to give you something. That's amazing, isn't it? You, you ever have somebody want to give you something for free and not want anything from you? That doesn't exist, right? No strings attached. Yeah, right. How I many watch those commercials with the free gift? The free gift. There's no free gift. You know, that's how people listen to the gospel today. They're like, what's the angle? Where's the string? You know, if we're not careful as Christians, we attach a lot of strings to it. Because we tell them it's not of works, and then as soon as they get saved, we tell them what to do. You with me? Well, that person couldn't be saved. They're too bad. What does that mean? Does, it, does that mean that God only saves good people? Because that's not what the gospel is. Did you somehow mistake yourself for a good person? You know, God's still working on us, isn't he? You say, there's no way that person got saved. I know they made a profession of faith, but they're not saved because they're not all changed. Their whole life hasn't been transformed. When did you arrive? Come on, when did I arrive? Anybody still a work in progress? How many glad that he which hath begun a good work is faithful to complete it? You know, he's going to finish it. God will finish the work in all of us. You know what we need to do? Stop worrying about whether people receive it, don't receive it. Stop worrying about whether people, they actually got saved or didn't get saved. Just deliver the news. That's your job. That's my job. We don't have to worry about whether people believe it or not believe it. We don't have to worry about people, how they're going to receive it or not. And we don't have to be the judge about whether they're really sincere or not. We just have to tell the news. We just have to make it available because it's got power. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.